0: Bibles would turn to Exodus chapter 20. Keep the Sabbath holy. Exodus chapter 20. Did you get there? All right. If I was to have another name for this, I would name it Keeping Holiness in the Sabbath, keeping the holiness of God within the Sabbath. And I will tell you my concern for the servant is our attitude towards the Lord when we show up to church. God wants us to get the most out of church. As a pastor, He wants me to get the most out of church in our worship service. He wants the congregation to get the most out of service. It's not about a time thing, it's not about showing up. It's about a genuine worship to God. At least we pray this every day because we come with distractions. We really do have many distractions that are vying for our attention. Some of them are genuine concern, and other ones, to be honest, are just a waste of time. They're just earthly things and carnal things that run around our mind and keep our minds busy and active and, and keep us distracted from God. And we come into service and sometimes service can come and go and, and we really don't know what to place. And, and that's a tragedy because we're going to see it in the Old Testament today that God rebuked ancient Israel for that very act of disgenuine worship. So, But we have a couple of things I have to speak about. Uh, the difference between the Old Testament Sabbath and New Testament fulfillment. There's a big difference. We'll get into that. But my concern as a pastor is that getting the most out of Christian service. And to do that, it's the attitude of our heart that we have when we come. I'll be speaking about commitment tonight. And commitment is not a time issue as much as it is an issue of the heart, of why we come. And this is important. So starting in Exodus chapter 20, I will read 1 to 11. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's just stop there. One second. I need a tissue. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or your surgeon, or who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, help us to keep holiness in our worship and our devotion to you, Father God. Not just a moral holiness, Father God, to keep ourselves free from the stains of sin in this world, Father God but a holiness, an attitude of mind and heart that is always in awe of you. That we never become so familiar with church and Bible study and fellowship that we're bored. Forgive us now, God, for any of us that struggle with this boredom at church. Forgive us and help us, Father God, to get over the distractions, Father God, of feeling like we're missing something because we come to church and we worship you, Father God. Help us, Father God. If it's speaking to anybody's heart today, Father God, speak life today to us, Father God. Bless this sermon, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Keeping holy in the Sabbath, or keep the Sabbath holy as God teaches us. One of the great flaws we see in the culture today, uh, one that has many side effects that you don't see right away, consequences that are not easily seen that's affecting life, is a lack of commitment. That frailty of the human nature not to be committed, not to be all in, in this case, for the Lord. The side effects that we don't usually see are a lack become, because of a lack of genuine commitment to the Lord. And, and, and biblical commitment, I'm not talking about any commitment, because God is the example of commitment. By biblical commitment, I mean God's example to us. Paul teaches us that when we're faithless, God does what? He remains faithful. See, that's commitment. See, God's commitment to you and me doesn't go on a sort of how good we are, or, how, or merit. God is committed to his people in spite of our failures. Amen. That's the picture of commitment. Commitment is not based on what's in it for me. Commitment is based on truth. It's based on God. It's based on his character, his attributes. Listen to the way Paul says it somewhere else. He says it like this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Bring it, he'll be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in spite of all our, familiar, uh, all our failings and all our shortcomings, all our weaknesses, God is faithful to the end. Guess what that takes? It takes commitment. God is committed to his purpose and his plan for your life and for my life. He's committed to it. Nothing's going to stop him. He's all in. That's good news. Faithfulness is that attribute of God we feast on daily. Even when we don't know it, we're feasting on the faithfulness of God, because guess what? We're not faithful. We're not promise keepers. Though we desire to be holy as he is holy, we desire to live for him, we desire to put every thought captive to him, guess what? We fail in that. But God never fails in his commitment towards us, ever. And we can take that to the grave. we sang it, that this is the solid rock by which we stand. Christ alone. When we stand before the Lord, it will be nothing about us. It will be Christ alone and His faithfulness. Matter of fact, Jesus teaches us that He loses none that the Father has given Him. Why? He's committed. He's committed to not losing one. So guess what? Because He's committed, guess what? He's not going to lose any of us. It's commitment. But you know something, we can really genuinely lack commitment. Whether it's to marriage, to friends, to work, another nutritional diet that we're going to do and I'm going to lose that 10, I'm going to lose that 20 pounds, I'm going to get the good report. That takes commitment. Exercise takes commitment. Education, sports takes commitment. Church takes commitment. It's work. Not all commitment brings a great sense of joy and satisfaction all the time. Going to work takes commitment. Raising a family takes commitment. You deny yourself when commitments come. There's a lot of things we cannot do because we are committed. Period. Only commitment from the heart is what God's pleased with. Not lip service. We're going to see a little lip service when we go to Malachi later on. Because we can come to church. And I've been there. You know, before you know it, you're daydreaming. and You know, you're going to, I'm sure I go to church. What's going on here? And, you know, before you come in, you're so distracted with other things that... You don't even know if you went to church that day. We should leave affected. If you want to leave being affected by God at church or Bible study or anything else you do for the Lord... It's the attitude we take into it. (coughs) Only commitment from the heart births our dreams and ambition that God gives us. Commitment is one of life's true barometers of a person's character. Let their yes be yes, Jesus says, and their no be no. This is important. And I want to speak to this very heart of commitment that I think keeping the Sabbath holy, not just showing up, But the attitude we bring to worship God is is vitally important to our soul's sake. Pastorally, I'm concerned for this because this genuine lack of commitment, I see it. I I can see people who are genuinely lacking commitment. And guess what? I can see the effects on their life. Me and John, as we pray for people, we can... There are certain individuals that are growing and they're committed. And I can tell you that in two years and in five years and in ten years, they're going to be solid. Do you know why? Because they're committed. Show me the committed Christian and I'll tell you where they're going to be in ten years. Even if life throws them the worst curveballs, they'll be standing on Christ, They'll be standing strong. They will not be an emotional wreck. They won't be taken by. It won't be like the rug is pulled out from under their feet because they're committed. Other Christians, unfortunately, that are not committed and life's trials come, their life is upended. They're all over the place. They, are they saved? They're saved. They'll always be saved. God will make sure. But that doesn't mean they don't suffer under the effects of And the consequences of not having a committed relationship to Christ and the local church. This genuine lack of commitment to church or the Sabbath and and God's Word and God's people is a lack of commitment to God Himself. It's not a time issue at all, It's, it's an issue of the heart. It's not how much I get the church. It's who am I when I am there? Who am I when when I'm with the family of God? What does the word of God mean to me? Is God going to meet my needs today? Is God going to speak to the issues of my heart? It has dire side effects, consequences that can take many years, a lack of commitment The superficial commitment to Christ, the superficial commitment to the church, the superficial commitment to the word of God has dire consequences that can take years to manifest in a Christian. Many Christians are hurt by it. There's a lack of genuine growth. And to be a Christian in this world and have a lack of genuine growth, this emotional maturity, is to be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. People can say everything and anything, and some Christians just believe it. Genuine fellowship with others, being concerned for others, praising God for other people. Something that many Christians lack that. And I share that much. That is number one, one of the number one priorities in my heart, that you, you enter into the joy of someone else's personal salvation. That's commitment. That is a blessing that many Christians miss. When it comes to Christianity, New Testament religion, let me tell you something, it has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with God and other people. Listen to what James says. We all know what James says. That true religion is pure and undefiled before God. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself pure from the world. Theologically, the Sabbath rest, understand something, is eternal salvation. I don't know if you know that. It's not about a day. God's not concerned about a day. He's concerned about eternal life. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 extensively spells out and teaches that the Sabbath rest is faith in Christ and eternal life. That's the Sabbath rest. God is not concerned about today as much as you spend about eternity. But we come and we meet on a day so we understand eternity. We come and we meet and we're educated in the will, in the mind, and the heart of God for us. We have it because of Christ. Christ is our eternal rest. Christ is our Sabbath rest. And we come here to find out this glorious salvation. As Jehovah spoke to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you where? Out of... But he he defines it as the house of slavery. You know, when we meet, we have to constantly, when we worship and Marty pulls out the song list and I'm worshiping, it reminds me of what Christ has done for me. Do you know I need it? I remind myself of that every day. I still got plenty of sin that pushes me to the cross. But when I'm in corporate worship and I'm singing the hymns with my fellow brothers and sisters on Christ because we're all committed and we come, there's a washing of the word of God on my soul. And prayerfully, you experience that too. That just being alone by myself does not do. There's a closeness I feel with Christ. There's a remembrance of who I used to be. And it's been many years, but if I'm not close to Christ, he'll come back again. And I'm reminded that I was brought out of darkness and into the light. That I was dead in sin and transgressions. And he made me alive with Christ, I'm a co heir with Christ. I need to be reminded of that every Sunday, if not every day. How a Christian does not commit to Christ, how a Christian is not committed to the Word, how a Christian is not committed to the, the local assembly as much as they can and try to live a holy life in this world is beyond me. It's beyond me. Historically, the Ten Commandments is a framework for God's people on how to worship the first four commandments be the vertical between God and his people. Everything else is between person and person, the horizontal. You know, in fact, the, whole, the Jews' whole life revolves around God who saved them. Their whole life. Just like your whole life and my whole life. They were a true theocracy, a nation under God, whose whole life, from the birth to death, was structured by God. Every day of the Jewish life was structured by God. Every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year was structured. Starting with circumcision, structured by the daily morning and evening sacrifices. Structured by the daily quotation of the word of God all over their home, according to Leviticus. Structured by all the sacrifices. Structured by all the festivals. Structured by food laws. Wherever you went in ancient Israel, a Jew would be basically doing the same thing that another Jew was doing somewhere else within the nation. Their annual festivals, their new moons, the seventh-year Sabbath, the, the 49th year Sabbath, the Exodus, the food laws, the ceremonial washings, every aspect of Jewish life was predictable. Everyone. Their whole existence was structured by God. Even their tribe, their family, their geographical location, according to the book of Numbers and the Book of Joshua, was ordained. By God. Can you believe that everything in your life, where you are right now, the name of your children, the job you have, the spouse you have, everything has been ordained by God? All their life was structured. All this structured life was God's way of quarantining his people from the pagan nations around them. The Sabbath was the key day of the week the Sabbath was a day when you were redeemed by God to come and worship God and find out about this marvelous salvation they were to keep it holy that was God's way of separating this one day listen to me God has jurisdiction over time did you know that yes. do you have any idea of that do you know your day? We know when you make your plans for your day, that time, guess what? It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And he allows us to work six days in the week. And on a seventh day, he says, that's my day. That's the day you cease from work. You cease from all the distractions. Even so, the beast of burden does not work. But we're not talking about just a physical work. This is more important. It's about a spiritual rest. The Sabbath was about the spiritual rest on this side of heaven. Jesus bring the spiritual rest on the other side of heaven. But a spiritual rest is so needed for us because we are so distracted. And to be removed from the spiritual rest where we're recalibrated and we're reminded of who we are, what Christ has done. And that we needed to be reminded, just like the Jews needed to be reminded. We needed to be reminded in song, and word, and fellowship of who we are now as God's people, redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's more valuable than precious silver and gold refined in the fire. Our faith needs to remain strong and growing. Faith is not something that sits there dorsal and just remains as is. It needs to grow. It needs to be nurtured. It's alive. It's not passive. It takes Commitment. The word holy means to remove from common use. The Sabbath was removed from common use of work and play. It was set apart for God. It's subject to special treatment. It's to be sacred, consecrated, to be dedicated. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Dedicated unto God. The seventh day, after they spent a week, On themselves and on their families, loving and caring and nurturing one another, they would come out as a community now to sit under the preaching of the word of God and find rest for their soul. To be reminded about what life is all about. That they were called to be the apple of God's eye, a special possession just for him. That they were different. They were different from all the nations around them. If I'm not careful, if you are not careful, if my my mind is not being renewed daily, I will not, you will not be a living sacrifice unto God. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This takes commitment. And as we said, God's not concerned about just time. He's concerned about the heart. But he does own the time. I remember when I first started reading that, the Puritans taught me that. The Reformers, John Calvin, I remember him writing a thesis on time and how God has redeemed the time, how time belongs to God. And I remember reading this and saying, Mike, God owns everything. I never thought that time was a commodity. You know when you find out time's a commodity? When you start running out of it. You start getting older. And youth is wasted on the youth, right? And then you're saying, my goodness, time. If I only had some more time. And you realize you can never. Some of the best theology I ever sang was the Rolling Stones. Time waits for no one, and it won't wait for me. And as you get older, you see time really is a commodity. And the point of Apostle Paul says, make sure that you redeem the time because the days are evil. The Sabbath is redeeming of the time. When we get together on a Sunday, it's God redeeming time. It's God setting apart time for us to congregate, get together, get around the word, bring our heart together, bring our devotion together. I need to hear encouragement from other Christians. I'm out there in the world all week, battling the same battles you are in mind and heart and and temptations of the world. And when I get together with everyone else, we encourage each other in the fight. As Hebrews says, do not make the mistake of not meeting with each other, but to continue meeting and stimulating each other to love and good works. Everything belongs to God, and how we spend our time is important to God. They were to get together and remember this new existence was because God brought them out of Egypt. You know, sometimes we can have a sense of entitlement. We can forget why we're saved and how we're saved. We can generally forget the price it cost. And we need to be reminded, I was reminded as Marty was singing, of the importance of the sacrifice of Christ. Let me let me share with you an, an ugly, how can I say, ability of the human heart. You and I can forget just how precious Christ is. And if you're a Christian any length of time, you have already at times, so have I. And it's important that we never forget that. And so coming to church, not just being committed to church, but coming with our hearts wide open to hear the word of God is important. That's an exercise of the heart and mind that each and every individual has to make. Not just to rush in and try to get to church and hear the word of God under duress, To make sure we get there. Understand something. Life is busy. Things have changed. We're not 2,000 years ago roaming around in the desert. We are busy. And God knows that. And we're not committed to a Sunday Sabbath or a Saturday Sabbath. We're not committed to that. Christ paid it all. God is not waiting for you and me to fulfill the Sabbath last year I'm going to close it. I'm going to preach. Understand something. God is not waiting for you and me to fulfill the Sabbath ordinance. Do you know why? Do you know why you? Because we can't keep it holy. Guess who has? Christ. Christ kept it holy. Israel failed constantly. They failed in everything. But the true Israel came. His name is Jesus. And he fulfilled the law perfectly for them and us. But we have such a great advantage now as Christians as we reflect on what Christ has done and we're encouraged to keep our eyes on where? Not Moses, not the Sabbath. Not the commandments, but to keep our eyes focused on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're to lay aside all sin and everything that hinders us and entangles us as we keep our eyes on him. And I'm here to tell you, I'm asking and God is asking to make a commitment in your heart that being part of the local church to the best of your ability has nothing to do with, a, with an option. Make a commitment, God, until I go home, I am part of the local church to bring my gifts, to bring my talents, and come to worship you and fellowship with other Christians and encourage other Christians. That is it. Never again will I have this conversation with myself or with God. I'm married to Christ. I'm all in. I got a. We have a great brother. He's not here anymore. He's moved down to South North Carolina. Carl Patane. Many of you remember him, and I remember Brother Carl when we had our Monday afternoon men's meeting, and uh, he was a Roman Catholic at the time, and uh, he was coming to Bible study, and his life started changing. The Word of God started changing him, and he was a paddleball freak. He was actually very good in paddleball, and it was a May afternoon, and he was going to play paddleball because it was so nice. And he said these words. He goes. Brian, it was like this big cosmic struggle taking place. Do I go play paddleball or do I come to the men's meeting? And the light went off to him and he says, How can I deny Christ this one hour? And he goes, When I did that, my life changed. Never again did I ever wrestle with the thought of not being part of church, ever. It was gone. And that's what it was, a cosmic struggle. Our flesh wants to fight against that kind of commitment. Our flesh wants to say no. Our flesh wants to stay on the outside of the concentric circle where we can pick and choose what we want to do. But we don't want to be part of the inner circle, the inner sanctum of God's heart. It's only on the inner circle where you really get to breathe the love of God and experience it. It takes commitment. I want to go to Malachi and just have a couple words on this. I went off my notes and I just want to share from my heart. But listen to what Malachi says about this. Malachi chapter 1. When we're reading the prophets in the Old Testament, it can be a little sound strange. So stay with me, okay, as I read this. Then I'll explain it to you. This is Jehovah speaking. A son honors his father, and a servant honors his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say to me, how have we despised you, Jehovah? How have we despised your name? Jehovah says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. They took him for advantage of it. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is not that evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Present that to your mayor. Present that to your master. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to anyone? You give me this lukewarm gift is what he's saying, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that you were among those who would shut the doors of the church. Don't even bother coming. If you're going to come like that, God says, don't even come. That you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept your offering from you. Understand something. Let me give you a sound bite out of Israel's past. As the prophet Malachi brings an indictment to church They're going to the temple. It's not that they're not going. It's how they're going. They're bringing less than the best offering. They're bringing a lame animal. They're taking the shortcut. There's no skin in the game. Anybody can do that. But they're showing up. And God's saying, I'm fed up with it. I'm fed up with these sacrifices. You come, but you're not all in. There's no single-minded devotion. You As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even bring that sacrifice to the governor, but you're bringing it to me. Is our just showing up honoring God? Let's be real. I did that for 30-something years in the Catholic Church. I showed up. How dare me ever fall back into that again? Got to be all in. That's what God's saying. You're showing up, but you're not all in. You're giving me the leftovers over here. You wouldn't even bring that to a male. You wouldn't even bring that to a human governor. You're bringing it to me. Now, this is the good news. You ready? This is one of the reasons that forced God to do something else. This is one of the reasons that It staggered the minds. Isaiah says it best. I am doing a new thing that if I was to tell you, you wouldn't believe. You know what the new thing is? Listen to verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to to its setting, my name will be great amongst the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name. And pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. There's a dual meeting. You know what that is? You know what he's talking about? The gospel. That's the gospel. This pure incense, this fragrant offering, that's Christ. He's the true Jew. He's the true Israel. He's the one who showed up and bring the best all the time. This is the gospel era. God brought him salvation to himself. For the last 2,000 years, Christ has gone out to the nations. They've received his righteousness, they've received his forgiveness, they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit and that the nations worship God in spirit and in truth. You and I are here today worshiping God in spirit and truth because the true Israel fulfilled the commandments, the true Israel fulfilled the heart commitment to God that Adam couldn't do it, Israel couldn't do it, you and I can't do it, no one can do it, but Christ alone has done it, and on this rock we will stand. And that is the thing when we come together on Sundays, we remind ourselves week in and week out day in and day out of this holy God that sent his son to fulfill our obligation are you ready you think because we get together and we, we love God I know we all love God if you're born again you love God we all do God puts love in us for him But do you think that's what makes our worship pure incense to him? Do you think that's what makes our offering genuine to him? Christ stands right now at the right hand of God mediating for us. Do you know what that means? Do you think Jesus now is saying... Interpreting every word I say to the Father. Jesus sits there before God for 2,000 years. Pierced hands. Pierced feet. Wounded side. Crown of thorns. Marked on his head. As a perpetual reminder that he fulfilled the obligations that we should have given. That's why this worship service... It's acceptable to God. It's not because I, I, I was the pastor who had a great week this week. Should I, should I give you a laundry list on how I blew it? To worship the worship of God isn't because you were perfect this week. As a matter of fact, we don't have a perfect moment. It's acceptable to God from all the nations because Christ fulfilled the law. Think about that. How can we come? Think about it. Would you come in that door now with some kind of lame excuse? At least I can offer that to God. God, take away my lame excuses. God, take away my evil intent. Take away my murmuring and take away my complaining. And God, put a heart of commitment in me. I worship you in spirit and in truth. You deserve the best that I could possibly offer. That's our heart here at the church. That's all we want as a pastor. That's all I want. Let's come together with a heart that wants to worship God. Not just running in at the last moments. I got to cross something off my list. But I'm also here to remind you that it's never going to be as perfect as God wants. But Christ is our perfection. We sing about his perfection. Every time we get together, when Israel got together on the Sabbath, they were always reminded that God brought them out of Egypt and reminded them it was a house of slavery. Do you want to know something about the house of slavery? You might not have thought about this. The Israelites did not think that Egypt was a house of slavery. They wanted to go back. You and I, when we're saved, we don't realize how sweet our salvation is. We have to learn that God has saved us, and he's given us a new mind and new desires, and we have to remember year after year after year how sweet it is to be born again. And that's what we do when we get together and encourage each other. So I might have taken a long way around this, To speak about commitment, I could have spoke about being a living sacrifice out of Romans chapter 12. But the point is this, as I close. Let's not have a carefree, cavalier attitude about church or about Bible study, about men's group, about a woman's group, about uh, the young men and women's group. When we come out, let's come out all of us to God. Let's be prepared. Let's not come to church in an attitude, if you were going to visit the, the governor, as Malachi says, if you are going to go visit the president, if you were going to go visit someone of nobility, you'd show up and you'd be ready. How much more for God? And remember, yeah, we got plenty of failures, but they point to Christ and his perfection. Yes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Help us, help us, I ask from to day forward, Father God, to keep holy in our Sabbath, to keep holy in our commitment to you, to constantly be reminded, Father God, that you're looking for pure worship like your Son, Father God. And we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of of truth, Father God, and that we can genuinely come to you now with tearful repentance and and, and, and great joy of what you've done for us, Father God. Let us never forget that we used to be dead in sin and transgressions, but you made us alive together with Christ. Father God, I pray that the Egypt you took us out of never looks good again. God, take the Egypt, take the love of this world out of us. Let us not be conformed to this world any longer, but let us be renewed in the spirit of our mind, God. Help us, Father God. Help us this day, once and for all, never ever to have this conversation again. We're committed to you until you take us home. In Jesus' name.